0: This is a post-Christian podcast. Welcome to the Revolution Church Podcast. Yeah, so this is kind of an impromptu thing. Uh, Jay contacted me this morning saying he wasn't feeling well. And I didn't have anything quite put together for this morning. So I put something together this afternoon. Uh, I thought... Hi. Some people checking in. Thought I would share some thoughts I'd try to put together. Hello, Cheryl. Hey, everybody. See bunch much people joining. Hello. Hey, Bob. So, yeah. I was... Like I was explaining I, Yeah, a bunch more people are jumping on now Like I was just explaining Jay's not feeling well this morning So I put together a little evening talk If then, I figured if anybody wanted to join in Maybe we could get some discussion going amongst ourselves So yeah, I, I guess I was kind of asking myself I don't know I, If you all are anything like me And I think you are probably Quite a few of you um, This is a real depressing time It's a real downer plenty of valid reasons. It's real bleak out there, and it it seems like bleak, dark things are almost like magnets, and they seem to attract tragedy, seems to attract tragedy to itself almost, it kind of seems like sometimes. Like, when bad shit hits, it kind of all hits at once. Yeah, so anyway, I was trying to figure out like, what does church even look like right now? Or what is it supposed to look like? Or what do we want it to look like? How is it useful, I guess? And, um, especially when there's this type of cultural shift going on. Um, how is it useful? And so I figured to to try to look at that question, you have to kind of first ask, well, what's, what is what is our aim? What is our use? What's our intention here with church? And I would be curious a lot of your all's input on that. But um, I'm sure we all have different reasons and different stories for engaging with church, engaging with revolution specifically, because it's a very unique type of church but i think generally we're kind of all searching for what we call maybe truth with a capital t or something that is adjacent to it and i think that how humans go about approaching that that search or how we in the west anyways go about approaching that is uh pretty standard i mean as far as like Wanting to learn from history so that history doesn't repeat itself. Sorry, I'm touching my face so much. I'm sweating in here. I don't have any AC in my room. But yeah, and I, I think that how the, how we do that is we we try to learn from those who came before us. We try to benefit from from what they've learned. And I think that's that's why things like scripture are so attractive, and 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 religion at all is so attractive is we're trying to learn from the from the mistakes and maybe some of the correct choices, some of the successes of the people who, uh, who came before us, you know, and that's why we have traditions, right? Like that's why certain families and certain cultures do things certain ways is because they're handed down and they're inherited and hopefully they're, they're inherited because they stick or because they work because they have some sort of innate value to them. And then, so, yeah, that's the first function that a church kind of helps to serve is to say, okay, what can we learn from the past? And then to also say, what does God or what does the absolute, what does the eternal look like like uh, like look like to us right now? Given what it looked like to those who we inherited this tradition from, when we apply those teachings, we try to learn from them, what, what, what does what they were reaching for, what does that look like to us now? We're trying to achieve that, trying to fill that lack or that gap, I guess. What does that look like to us now? Hopefully in the process of learning from those before us, we can kind of see what their aim is, what their intent is, and try to capitalize on those things. And I think that's where we get, as a shorthand, I'll just say, like, capital letter ideas, like truth with a capital T, or like justice, you know, capital J, justice, capital L, love, capital D, divine. That's where we get these ideas, that's why we capitalize Words like that is because we want, we want the idea to be an, an eternal thing that we can apply uh, universally. And I did actually have some scripture pulled up here. Oops, sorry. Blocking myself. Good old Second Corinthians 4. I want to specifically verse 18. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. Since what is seen is temporary, but what's unseen is eternal. So There's a short little verse. Let's fix our eyes not on what is seen but what is unseen. So that, that idea of fixing your eyes or, on something or clinging to it or, you know, putting effort into refining it. Fixing your eyes on eternal things or on, you know, capital E, eternal, I guess, as a, as a shorthand. And trying to capitalize, yeah, like I said, on what those ideas are trying to get at or on what's at the core of those things. What makes those ideas deserving of the capital J justice or capital L love. And you can probably see where I'm going with this. I have a lot of scattered thoughts. but um, And then, I guess, finally, the idea of religion is to, is to say, well, what do we pass on now? Given what we were taught and the traditions that we were given, and then how we have changed them, how we have shifted them, how we've refined them, how does this look like now that we want to pass this on, you know, to teach to, to future generations? How are we going to pass this on? Yeah, that's that's really kind of what the question is. And so I'm wondering how do we apply that approach of church right now? And of course I'm referring to all of the civil unrest, specifically being here in Minneapolis uh, with George Floyd's murder being so physically close to uh, to our home here. Um, so yeah, what does capital J justice look like? And especially with just mentioning George Floyd's name, I think I have to say that like the idea of justice for George Floyd right now, right here in this application represents much more than just lowercase justice for George Floyd. It represents this capital J idea of justice and like how are we going to redefine justice now moving forward? You know, given everything that's been learned in in civil rights and in all the mistakes that we've made throughout history in, in this country alone, how are we now going to apply the ideas that we cling to uh, the Constitution and the, and the words of the founding fathers as being almost like these scriptural things? And so it's like, now how are we going to apply capital J justice that was trying to be grasped and trying to be pursued after? In the past, and and obviously fell short. How are we going to lift that back up? And how are we going to pursue capital J justice now? And how are we going to pursue any eternal ideas now? How are we gonna? What are we gonna fix our eyes on now? Yeah, and so I think those of us who are who are familiar with deconstruction, specifically probably with with faith, who are here, I know a lot of us are attracted to this church because. It allows for a lot of space for deconstruction. I mean, hell, the you know the pastor and the and the, and the staff and new involved in it have been through or are going through some sort of deconstruction. When we kind of apply that approach in a similar way to ideas outside of faith, to like writing, say, a new constitution or or a new scripture, lowercase s moving forward, you know, what, how are we going to adjust those teachings and what's that going to look like? You know, that's critical thinking. And it's being critical of, for example, like the things that you were taught maybe as a kid. You're being critical of the inherited teachings, being critical of your worldview, being critical of the worldviews of your contemporaries, of the people around you, and then being critical of the worldview that you're going to pass on moving forward being critical of what's being taught of what we're writing as our new constitution uh, you know as our new scripture again lowercase as our new law what's what's our precedent going to be moving forward and I think that's why these idea of these um, eternal things or divine things is so important and that's why we I think are drawn to communities like this where we can deconstruct those things and rethink those things and reapply those things. And question, does this even resemble justice with a capital J? You know, does this even resemble truth? Does this even resemble that which is eternal or God or divine? Is the definition that we inherited a working Definition Does it serve a function or can we tweak the tool, I guess, to run with that analogy? Can we tweak the tool that we were given and then reapply it and apply it to our current circumstances? Because guess what? the build, The tool was built in very different circumstances from the ones that we're using it in now. And so that's why we readjust things and we recalculate things. We say, OK, this shovel was good for digging through the dirt. But now we dug through all the dirt and we hit this bedrock, you know, we hit this rock. This shovel is no good on the rock anymore. And then you have to you maybe say, okay, we'll set the shovel aside for if we run into any more loose debris and then we'll whip out this jackhammer that, we, that we've that we got or that we've built or that we're constructing. And maybe encouraging future generations to ask the question, is what I'm teaching you, does it work? Is the working or is the definition of justice that I'm giving you, is that a working definition? Does it or do we need to keep tweaking it, or how can it be tweaked for the new circumstances? And I guess that's what like hermeneutics is all about, and that's why it's so attractive to people who are interested in scripture or in any religious practice. Is is well, okay? Why was this being taught? How did it apply to the specific circumstances in which it was being taught, given to the people to whom it was being given? And so yes, we have to we have to be critical. We have to look critically at these tools and say, do they work anymore? Do they work in this application at all? that's why we learn from history. That's why we teach history. That's why, again, talking about teaching the next generation, that's why we, it's this a big practice of trying to learn from the mistakes that either the older generations have made or the mistakes that others have made in other cultures. And that's why having a diverse culture accelerates this process of self criticism or of critique. It accelerates the process of critique so much because you have so many more cultural vantage points, so many different reference points to work from. And so that's where we can, we can learn from our own history and we can learn from the history of others. And we can need to take advantage of the time in which we can ask those others to their face, like, okay, well, what did you learn from this? And that's why I think it's so invaluable right now, especially to have the perspective of, like, our Northern Irish congregation members and, and friends who interact with us and say, hey, maybe you all can learn from the troubles in, in Northern Ireland. You know, this looks really similar to a problem that we had. Here's the tool that we used and that we applied, and here's what it looks like, and here's how it worked for us. And maybe you can learn from that and try to apply it. That's why the process of, of being critical and of deconstruction and then reconstruction and saying, okay, well, again, the, t- the whole tool metaphor, okay, if I do take the idea of a shovel and I reapply it, what's how am I going to to adjust it and to reapply it without having any cultural appropriation or false equivalencies without saying well their situation is exactly like ours and so therefore we're going to take their exact same solution and plug it in in the exact same way and I'll go back to that that verse again we fix our eyes not on what is seen but what is unseen what is seen is temporary so what's right in front of you is temporary but what is unseen is eternal and that's that capital E eternal that thing that we're chasing after, the the reason that we're still engaging with religion or to whatever extent that we are. And I can't speak for anybody else. I'll keep this pretty quick. I don't have a lot of brand new insights. I'm a cisgender white guy sitting here, and I just wanted to have just a, a couple of thoughts. I just wanted to get out there that were rolling around in my head. But um, I think that this is a good opportunity for us to practice disagreeing well with each other. I think that sparring almost with each other. I was talking to. Another revolution member about this very recently about the idea of okay, well, Jay is always talking about how important it is for us to disagree. Well, where can we safely practice that with you know consenting people who want to spar with us? Where can we practice disagreeing well so that we can be decent at it? You know, in 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 real world application, when we're really emotional, when, when dealing with you know family members or people that we care about or loved ones or friends that we disagree with, how are we going to disagree well and engage well? And I think that especially now, it's extra important for us all to listen. And I think that especially in this community, I think that we're aware of that. But I think that especially now, it's it's super important for us to listen and and be really humble and be really empathetic, to listen to each other critically and to be self-critical, to almost, I guess, listen critically to ourselves, to the things that we're saying, to the things that we're putting out there. And checking our privilege, I suppose, uh, knowing when it is appropriate for your voice to be heard, I, I guess, or I don't, I don't know. That's an idea I have to maybe figure out a little bit more. But yeah, when is it appropriate to speak up and insist on being heard? Maybe that's what it is. When is it appropriate to assert being heard? And and I think right now it's super duper important for those of us with privilege to do a lot of listening and Which kind of begs the question, why am I still talking? So I'll just kind of breeze through the rest of this real quick. Especially now, I think we're we're surrounded by tragedy. I know that. I know a lot of people who engage with the revolution personally and, and personal friends of mine are, it seems like, just being followed by dark clouds right now and just being hit and barraged on all sides by darkness and by sadness on top of what is going on in the bigger picture, on top of the civil unrest that's going on. They have personal tragedies that are on top of that. And so, yeah, if anyone, I guess, within this community has, takes personal inventory and says, I have a little extra space to engage with people or to listen to people or to try to learn something or try to spar with someone, if you take personal inventory and say, yeah, I do have space for that right now, then maybe this is a good time to, to take that space and take advantage of it and to say, yeah, I do have extra space right now. Or, yeah, I have been in a place of privilege and it is time for me to you know, just sit back and listen but to the people who have all these tragedies that are just kind of piling up. And so I think especially now, it's important for us to, after accounting for our personal needs and boundaries, to make ourselves and our resources... Available to fellow humans and to people in need. I know that I wouldn't be here right now if not for the resources that have been made available to me by friends and loved ones and family recently having, you know, broken my ankle and then COVID hit and then, you know, everything else with the civil unrest and all the cries for justice and everything like that. Um, I would be, um, yeah, out of, out of work and, and not be able to afford living right now if not for help from both GoFundMe, from personal donations. I want to say thank you personally to everyone who, who's who been helping with that, especially like right after I broke my ankle. But anyway, yeah, I know there are people here in this community with the capacity to at least lend space for voices of people who feel like they don't have a platform. And I hope that that's what this message board can be here. I hope that that's what the Q&A with Jay thing can be. And as a reminder, you can uh, email questions to questionsforrevolution at gmail.com. And that's something that we're trying to get up, and this is an awkward time right now, honestly, to get anything started. It's just so hard to keep a chin up, I think, sometimes right now. And like I said earlier, especially with all the, the personal stuff going on with people where COVID and the civil unrest and everything is kind of amplifying that. If you have personal stuff going on, if you have family stuff going on, especially in these circumstances, it's like... It's, it's just too much, and, and, and I, I don't understand, honestly, how, how people who I'm really close with are, are... I admire their tenacity. And so, yeah, what can that look like if you take inventory of your personal resources and you say, I, given my needs and given my boundaries, which are two very important things, my needs, what are my needs, and my boundaries, what are my boundaries? Given those things, how can I, you know, help the other, I guess, right now? It could be by, you know... Simple as buying someone a meal, donating either finances to trustworthy people or groups, or maybe donating your time to trustworthy groups or people like, you know, uh, churches, nonprofits, food shelves. Yeah, volunteering. I want to say this I have a lot of friends here in the Twin Cities who are with former fundamentalist groups or ex evangelical groups, or, you know, particularly. I guess post-Christian or atheist groups they're doing a lot of humanitarian work right now and doing a lot of good for the communities that have been affected here in the cities by all the tragedies going on and by George Floyd's murder I have friends who I can brag on who I can say yeah they're atheists and they used to be Christians, are used to be more sure, I guess, about their stance on spiritual matters, but now they're really embodying this idea of embodying love with a capital L, or embodying, you know, Christ with a capital C, embodying the body, and being love to the people who are in need right now. As it were, clothing Christ, and feeding Christ, and visiting Christ right now. And how, what does that look like? I mean, that'd be a good question. What does that look like right now? Other ways that maybe you might have inventory... You might have the space right now to help people who are in need is maybe providing transportation. I know that that helped me a lot, like when I broke my ankle, obviously, needing rides places, and I don't know. Like I said, I don't know where I would be if it weren't for all the help that I got. And maybe I'm just fortunate in that I engage with the communities around me and the online communities and, and stuff like that so much. Maybe I'm just I'm fortunate to be plugged in where I am, but I'm telling you all that if you have needs, please do make them known, and there are people who want to help. I think Jay posted this on the Revolution Instagram earlier today. Look for the helpers. There are people who want to help right now. And I know people have been helping me in the community. Like this past week, I've been really anxious and down. And there are members of this community who know who they are, who have been there for me, who I've been able to call, who've provided me emotional support. And so if you have needs, even if you don't think there's a chance anyone could meet them in this community express them and and you never know who knows who you know and there are good-hearted people out there and there are good communities hopefully around you and I think it's a silly thing to say but Facebook can be a good place to start and so I'm encouraging this like with our Facebook group is you know maybe reaching out and and you don't know who knows who or who knows somebody in your area or in your community who uh, is connected with a group who might be able to help you or something like that if you have emotional Difficulties right now. Remember that, like suicide hotline, is is always out there, and there's a community of people here who want to practice these eternal ideas. Like, to go back to my original point, who want to practice like love with a capital L, or selflessness with a capital S, or want to try to see if there's such a thing as altruism, you know, or want to try to philosophically keep pursuing these greater ideas, these eternal ideas, these divine ideas, these capitalized ideas. And yeah, again, I think that a lot of that looks like critical thinking and critical conversations with the people who came before you the people from whom you inherited these traditions and these definitions of these ideas and who told you that these ideas were so important to start with. And having those conversations, those critical conversations, and then having critical conversations with the people around you who can help critique what is happening right here and now who are of similar or even different cultural background, of similar or different worldviews. your contemporaries, I suppose, to use a fancy word. Engaging in critical conversations with those people around you and also engaging with critical conversations with the next generation. It might sound silly, but talking to... The younger generations about how are we going to keep upholding these quote-unquote holy ideas? How are we going to keep pursuing justice? How are we going to keep enabling or how are we going to keep strengthening the people around us to pursue these ideas like these divine ideas, these eternal ideas like justice and love and things like that? I'm seeing some comments. I'm just going to scroll real quick here through... Thanks to you all for sticking around. I know this is real impromptu, and it's like an evening service, huh? What time is it, anyways? I wanted to start right at 7. I think I started late. Yeah, it's like an evening service. So, uh, Cheryl said, uh, Good word, Caleb. It's, oh, in moving forward with rooted traditions, we're taking and adjusting them to who we are today and changes we need. Love this. Yeah, that's the idea for sure. Oh, good. Cheryl makes another good point. It never stops being adjusted. I think the Bible... I take the Bible and everything in context. So what we do today, the next generation, will adjust it even more as life moves forward in the context where we are changes every day. Does that make sense? Totally. That makes a lot of sense. I absolutely, completely agree. And then Roberta says, For decades, these injustices and civil unrests don't change. Just when I think things are good... Or going good, this hate, civil unrest, and other tragedies rear their ugly head. I guess I'm looking for an end to it all. It might be unre- unrealistic for me to think so. Yeah, I understand that, Roberta, and I, I totally agree, and I think that that's why we keep rewriting things and amending things. That's why we have so many amendments to go back to the political application. That's why we have so many amendments you know, to the Constitution is because we keep chasing after these eternal... Ideas And yeah, we keep falling short. It it does need to keep on being adjusted and keep on being amended and keep on being reapplied. To revisit yet another metaphor, I know this isn't very well constructed, I'm sorry. To revisit yet another metaphor, maybe the tool that we use to dig changes. Or maybe we don't need to dig anymore. Maybe now we find out from the plans that we inherited, from the blueprint that we inherited... That we're building a bunker and not a house. Like we we thought that these were blueprints to a house. And we got to digging and we realized, oh well, we don't need a house, so actually we need a bunker. We need to upscale everything. We need to change these plans and adjust these plans. Or you know, what were they thinking down here? Or now we have modern plumbing. We don't need to build an outhouse over here anymore. And so yeah, maybe the goal of what you're trying to accomplish is shelter. And that doesn't change. That's capital S. That's the, that's a divine or eternal idea. We need shelter. But guess what? When the shelter was built, we didn't have the wind that we have to contend with now. Like, this was a water shelter, maybe. This is a good shelter for keeping you dry, but now we have the wind to contend with. Or or maybe uh, this is a good shelter for the, for the winter, but now it's it's hot out again, you know, and so we have to adjust it. And so I think that um, being fluid like that and and being, or being malleable, maybe not malleable, being empathetic, maybe... Like that, and being able to think on our toes and to adjust things and say, "Well, we really thought that was working. It turns out it wasn't." Or you know, now we need to address this new problem. I think is is invaluable, and that deconstructing and, and being critical and having other critical voices around us is invaluable. And the ability to take critiques and to take feedback as it should be taken from the place that's being given. That too, you know, the taking the feedback from the place that is being given, understanding, okay, they're reacting to this because of this context. I think that that's super important as well. And that's about as well-formed as that idea is for me right now. And again, this is spur of the moment. So uh, thank you all a lot, and I love you all. And uh, talk to you soon. Bye, y'all. We'd like to remind you that our ministry is supported 100% by listeners like you. To make your 100% tax-deductible donation today, please visit revolutionchurch.com slash donate. You can also learn more by clicking the donate section on the website. If you enjoyed this show, you might also like The Sacred Collective. Do you think God has a problem with gay people, is what I'm asking?
1: Yeah. You You do? Yeah. I do. Uh... Do you live in that guilt? I do have guilt about that. Um, Oh, my God, man. But I've learned in my life, because I've went through a lot um, within myself, that, uh, you know, I believe that by living the best life that I can, Uh um, that, you know, I will find forgiveness for that. Yeah. I mean, I don't believe that it's, it's, the make or break it thing, yeah. But yeah, I believe that it's a problem to him. Why? Why? Why would God have a problem with gay people? If He made him that way, and
0: He He's the, you know in full control of everything, why would He have? Why would He make something that He dislikes?
1: I'm am about to I am okay. So uh, I'm part. probably one of the only gay people ever that don't really believe that you were born gay. Okay. Okay. So mm-hmm. I know that sounds. That sounds crazy uh, to a lot of people, and some of the people. I'm probably my husband was believes he was born gay, yeah. um, And you you can imagine we do have some issues over (laughs) conservative things, but. uh, no, I think that a lot of it was environment. Um, mm-hmm. My parents mm-hmm. were not together. We There was not a male figure in my life for years. And honestly, I never really even thought about it until other people, uh, you know, yeah. like you're gay or whatever. Sure. So I never thought about it. So yeah. I, I believe a lot of it is environmental. Okay.
0: Well, then why would God give you an environment to push you towards
1: that sexual preference if he's an all-loving God or whatever? Like, uh, I believe that while he's omnipotent, uh, he allows free will and I don't think he influences. I think it's up to people Mm -hmm. to allow him to influence their Mm -hmm. lives. Yeah. I'll just tell you right now, I do not think God has a problem with gay people. I'll just tell you that right now. (laughs) You're just smiling. That's kind of like what I expect. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think every pretty, I'm going (laughs) to say 99.9% of the gay population and I have family that's gay. Uh, I have family that is not gay, that was very homophobic before I came out, Mm. that's very, I mean, like my cousin, uh, he's like my best friend, we're like brothers, and uh, I'm sure he believes that you're born that way. Mm -hmm. I mean, because that was obviously something they saw in me, but I don't, I mean, to me, no.
0: Yeah. I I can agree with you there. I think it's a nuance, kind of almost a, a paradox, to where maybe you're born with certain, like, predispositions and then yeah your environment does shape you the concept of a spectrum i think is a, is a better way to look at it you know there's certain things that appeal to you and that, that you're attracted to and i i'd agree with you that that's shaped by your environment and circumstances and stuff like that but man it's it kind of bums me out honestly man that you that you think that, that god's not down with with your lifestyle because i think god is love and and I think you're a great person, and I think there's no reason for you to feel shame over... I'm, I'm sorry if I'm getting too real with you. No, you're not. I just... As a person, I love you, man, and I think God does too, and I don't I don't see any fucking problem with what you do behind closed doors or, or in public. I mean... To continue the conversation, find us on social media at SacredMN. That was a post-Christian podcast.